0: Okay, take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 3 as we continue our study through this fascinating book of Hebrews. Remember, we don't know exactly who wrote the book. He is writing to a Jewish audience, and he says in chapter 3, verse 1, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, fix your eyes on Jesus, the Apostle, and the high priest of our confession. Right from the bat in chapter 3, the writer tells us, the believers, you have three titles. These are the most important titles you can have as a believer. I don't care what position you have. I don't care what degrees you have on your wall. I don't care what um, title is before or after your name. These are the most important ones you can have. And the first one is, you are holy. We are holy. We have sung this morning that God is holy, and we know that, and because God is holy, He has made us holy. That word means consecrated. It means set apart. It means set aside for a special purpose. Being holy is not common. It is special. You are set apart by the living God, for a specific purpose, giving you a specific passion for a mission that He has for you. You are made holy. Now in our house, uh, we have um, fiesta ware. Anyone familiar with fiesta ware? I mean, we got fiesta everything. Unfortunately, Lori found out that there's a warehouse <laughs> in West Virginia where it's made. So whatever they make, We've got at least one of them. So we eat them all, all the time, every morning coffee from a Fiesta Wear cup. And um, we had these life groups over, leaders of life groups over, talk about beyond these walls stuff. And so it's time for them to come, and there's a coffee pot there. So I get in the shelf. I'm getting ready to get out. The Fiesta Wear cups, right? And Lori says, no, 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 no. Special guests are coming so you go get the china cups. We just want our guests with the china cups. And I said, wait a minute, these cups are good enough for me. Why are we getting cups for these other people? Come. No, we get the china cups. These are special. Now, uh, Lori missed a few meetings and I uh, I use styrofoam cups during those meetings. (laughs) I'm not washing those china cups by hand. They were special. Think about it. You are not God's common table setting. You are His special, made-out-of-China people. And He has a special purpose and direction and passion for your life. Not only are you holy, but He calls us... Brothers, this is the second time this has happened. Jesus, remember in chapter 2, verse 11, called us brothers as well. And this is generic. This means children. We are children of the living God. We are children of the living God. I I don't know what type of uh, uh, parental thing you had going on in your life. Some of you, it was fantastic. Some of you, it was challenging. But I want you to know the heavenly Father loves you with an unconditional love. Love, you are his child. And you share in a heavenly calling. Think about that. You share, you are partakers of a heavenly calling. Everything we do as believers, as believers, this life we live is bigger than us. As believers, we don't live a small life. As believers, everything we do is aimed for eternity. The investments we make should be investments for eternity. How you use your home should be investing in eternity. How you use your car should be investing in eternity. The business you have, the money you make, we are shares in a heavenly calling. We can't live a small life. Because God has interrupted us. He's brought us to himself. He's made us holy. We're not for common use. He has called us his children. Our investments and time and gifts should be to pay eternal dividends. Think about that in your life. When you go through your week, are you more worried about the the, the temporal things you've got to get done? Or the ways you can use the normal temporal things you do to invest in eternity. That's a life change. That's a game changer, isn't it? That is a philosophical game changer if you do that. A spiritual game changer. If I'm only going through the week to get through the week, I have wasted a week of my life. But if I'm using this week, this day, this afternoon, to invest in eternal things, whatever that looks like in your life. That's what God has called us to do. Now, in this first verse, we have three titles for believers, but we also have two titles for Jesus. So, therefore, remember, therefore always takes you back. What's getting ready to be said is because of, it's based on what's already been said. Jesus is supreme. Jesus is supreme, and He's called us to be holy. He has called us to be His children. He has called us to be partakers in a heavenly in a heavenly adventure, a heavenly calling. So now consider Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Keep your hope on Him. He's the one supreme. And He is, two titles, Apostle and High Priest of our confession. He's the Apostle and High Priest of our faith. The word Apostle simply means one sent by God. And certainly Jesus was that, right? He was sent by God. The High Priest... In the Old Testament, the Jewish readers would have known well about the high priest. He, was the, he wasn't just the priest. He was the high priest. There was only one high priest at a time. And the high priest was the only one who could go into the sacred place in the temple, the Holy of Holies, the only one who could offer sacrifices. First, he had to offer sacrifice for himself because he was, he was sinful. He was a man. And then he would go in the Holy of Holies and offer sacrifice for the people on the Day of Atonement. Only one person could do that. But now, Jesus in the New Testament takes over that title. He is our high priest. He doesn't go one time a year into the Holy of Holies. One time for all time, he died on the cross for our sins. So think of it this way. You can see this in your notes. As apostle, Jesus was God's representative in the presence of man, right? As high priest, Jesus was man's representative. In the presence of God, he is our apostle sent by God to man. And he's our high priest representing man before God. Now, the writers, again, are from the Jewish background. And so they're going to say, we love Jesus. We understand what he did on the cross. But when you start talking about Jesus and how great he was, don't forget Moses. Moses. Moses was a great man. Moses was a, a priest. Moses, Moses led the people out of, out of slavery. He, he started our nation. Don't forget Moses. So the writer's going to address that. I mean, Moses was a great man. Deuteronomy 34, 10 through 12, and there was, has, arisen, has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, none like him for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt. He did tangible things. He created the nation. God used him to create the nation of Israel. And so the people could say, you know what? I I, I get Jesus, but, but, but Moses, he is the one who built our nation. He's the one who brought those children out of slavery. He's great. He's really great. Now, think about this for a second. As humans... We love the tangible, don't we? We we get the spiritual, but you can't see that. Someone says, I trusted in Christ as my Savior. Yeah, you can see some fruit of their life, but you can't really see what goes on in the heart, right? But you can can see when someone leads the children of Israel out of Egypt, and you can see the, the law that was given. That's a tangible, so we cling to that. We still do that today. Let me give you an example. I don't know this for sure, but I bet if I would say on Tuesday night, we're going to have a, an evangelistic service. We're going to come and we're going to share the message of Christ. And so invite all your non-saved friends to come. We'd, we'd have a group, right? But if I said on Tuesday night, We're going to have have a healing service. And we've never done that here. We're going to have a healing service. And you bring anyone and everyone you know to be sick and come, and we're going to pray for their healing. I bet you, I would bet you twice as many people come. I've seen that happen before. Not here, other places. And why is that? Because in our minds... There's something more powerful to see someone healed, right, than to be saved. In fact, look at Christianity. The healing ministries, the tangible ministries. We like tangible. But it's God who works in the heart. And these people here, they like the tangible. They're saying, you know what? Moses... See, see, we thought Jesus was going to rebuild our country and, and, and free us from the rule of Rome. He didn't do that. Yeah, we get what he did in the heart, but, but Moses, man, look at what he did. So it would have been tempting for them, as it is for us, to look at the tangible when a person coming to Christ is more powerful than a person being healed, right? I mean... Lazarus, that poor guy died twice. If you get healed, you're going to die again. Well, not again, but right? But when you are spiritually healed, that's for eternity. Holy. Children of God. Heavenly calling. So, the writer is going to make sure that he explains in verse 3, For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. That's a big statement for these Jewish readers. As much more glory as a builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. Moses was the, he, he was the leader of the children of Israel. He was the house, the children, right? But Jesus is the builder of the house. So you, get, so you drive around the neighborhoods here and you see a cool house. You say, that's a cool house. And then what's the next question? Who built that? Because it's the builder who built the house. It's Jesus who built the house of the children of God. Look at verse 5 and 6. Check this out. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a what? Servant. To testify to the things that were to be spoken later. So Moses came specifically to testify of the things that Jesus was going to bring. But Jesus, he is faithful over, not in, but over God's house, not as a servant, but as a what? He's a son. Jesus is greater than Moses. The the writer's... Arguing this throughout. Remember his Jewish audience. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than heaven's best. He's greater than earth's best. Moses. Can you think of another greater prophet than Moses? No. Jesus is greater than him. By the way, don't put your faith in a person. You will always be disappointed. I mean, Moses didn't even get to go to the promised land because of a disobedience at the end. But when you put your eyes on Jesus, when you consider him, when he's the one you're looking at, you will never, you will never be disappointed. So after that truth, the writer gets into some practical application. And we're going to move through this rather quickly as we get ready for communion. The first things I want us to look at, first two verses, Verse six and verse fourteen. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are His house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Hmm. If we hold fast, Does that sound like works at all? Maybe a little bit. Look at verse. Look at verse fourteen. But we have come to share in Christ, sounds pretty good so far, right? If, indeed, we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So does that mean I can really never know for sure that I'm a believer? Does that mean I only have confidence if on my last breath I'm still believing? Does it sound like that? All right, so... First lesson of understanding Scripture is when you have a verse that seems unclear, you always go to the verses that are very clear on a particular topic. Does that make sense? When you see something that says, boy, what does that mean? Now I'm going to go back and find the verses where it's very clear what it means regarding our eternal security. So let's think about that. Let me give you... Uh, some verses here. 1st Romans 8, 29 through 30. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also, what? Glorified. What tense are these uh, words in? Past tense, right? So what's that mean? As God looks down on us, he's already done. We're as good as in heaven right now. He justifies us. He justified us. He will glorify us. For us, he's going to glorify us. In God's eternal mind, boom, done. He looks at us and says, you're mine. You always will be. Another verse, uh, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, a familiar one. By grace, not by works, but by grace, we've been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, it's that gift of grace, not as a result of work, so that no one can boast, for we're God's workmanship, and we've been created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. So God has some good things for us to do, to walk in them. So get another verse, Philippians chapter one, verse six. And I am sure of this, that he who began, who's by the way, who's the he? God, right? I'm sure this that God, who began, he's the one who started it, a good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus, talking about our salvation there. One more, Jude uh, 24, verse 24. Not to Him who is able to keep you from falling, again, we're talking about God here, to God who is able to keep you from stumbling and is able to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy It's him who does all the work. It's God who does all the work in our salvation. It's God who does the work in bringing us, and we call that eternal security. A child of God who is truly a child of God will always be a child of God. Nothing can separate us from his love. We are held in the hand of Christ, John 10, 27 through 30. Nothing can snatch us out of the hand of Christ. Because of this eternal security, then as believers, we have assurance of our salvation, right? And in one system of theology, there are five points to it. I won't go through the five, but it's called... um, perseverance of the saints. J.I. Packer says that's a little bit of a confusing term, perseverance, because perseverance sounds like I have to persevere, right? i got to keep doing it. So J.I. Packer says better, preservation of the saints. It's God who preserves us to the end. Now, with that in mind, right, let's go back and look at this passage. Verse 6, we are God's children, His house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Well, we're going to do that because it's God doing that in us. Verse 14, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end, well, we're going to do that because it's God working in us. He's the one who holds us there. He's the one who keeps us there. He's the one who's going to make certain we are preserved till the very end. It's not about us. It's about God. Here's what one writer says. The Christian is like a man making his way up a hill who occasionally slips back, yet always his face set toward the summit. The unregenerate and the non-Christian has his face turned downward and he is slipping all the way. So we always draw it like this. Here we come to Christ. Here's when we go to be with Christ, God in heaven, and our life would look like this. It's not going to be a straight shot. There are going to be ups and downs. There are going to be times when we fall. We fall hard. But as a believer, we continue on the way. Our continuance is a proof of our true salvation. Continuing in Christ is proof of our true salvation. Are there going to be some tough times? Yeah. There may even be some tough stretches in there. For a time where the prodigal son, David, when he sinned against Bathsheba, the baby was born, so nine months later he hadn't confessed his sins yet. But God brings us back. Continuance is proof of that. Now, on the other hand... The person who doesn't know Christ, not heaven, but hell, and he's slipping all the way. The writer wants us to know that there needs to be and should be some fruit in our life. This Being preserved, this continuing, is a part of that assurance, right? How do we have assurance? Because God keeps us there. He keeps us doing the things he wants us to do. Do we fall? Yeah. But He conviction, and he brings us back. That's a part of fruit. When someone sins and there's no conviction and they stay away from God, then how? what proof is there that God's at work in their life? And you say, well, time out. That sounds like works. Who are we to judge? Well, this isn't for judging others. This is for making certain that our salvation is settled. Now, a couple things here. Got to move quickly. The writer... Uses Psalm 95, written by Moses. It says, today, uh, this is verse 7, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, God, God inspires Moses to say this, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your father put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked by that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts and have not known my ways as I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my, my rest. This is uh, Numbers chapter 13 and 14. That's the story behind this. The children of Israel are in the desert. They've just been freed. God's opened a way for them. They send out the spies. Uh, the spies come back. Ten of them say, no way. Absolutely no way we can take the land. There are giants in the land. Two spies, Jacob, uh, uh, Joseph and Caleb say, uh, yeah, let's go, let's go to Joshua, not Joseph. Sorry, I'm gonna slow down. I gotta hurry, but I'm gonna slow down. <laughs> Joshua and Caleb says, Let's go take it. But the people saying well, we're gonna do it. So for 40 years, these people wandered in the desert. They never got into the promised land. Look at verse 12. Take care, brothers. Now he's talking to believers, right? So let that be a warning to you, your believer. But take care lest there be in you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. That word fall away means active rebellion. When you're living as a believer, you're a believer, you're on your way to heaven, but when you're living in active rebellion, that is a dangerous place. There are consequences of that. So take care. Don't do that. All of us can fall away. All of us can go into that active rebellion. But as believers, we can't do that. And in the community, that becomes our responsibility to step in another person's life and say, you can't keep living like this. You're part of the community. You're part of that. You're a child of God. How can you keep living like that? That's what it says in verse 13. Look, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You're in community. So if you see someone not living as they should, not by your opinion, but based on Scripture, it's not rocket science, they're not living what God has to say, then it is our responsibility, and by the way, I think this is the most unapplied part of Scripture, It's our responsibility to go to that person and say, look, I love you. (laughs) We're brothers and sisters together in Christ, but your words are hurting other people. I love you, but that relationship you have with that woman, that does not look right. I love you, but you can't keep in that affair. I love you, but you can't keep doing what you're doing. That's what community is about. You say, time out. That means I would have to judge another person, right? I'm not going to do that. Doesn't mean you judge another person. Judging another person is if I if I judge you based on my opinions. Scripture is right in front of us. We are representing God's word to another person. No one in here would want a child to play in the middle of the street, would you? Would it be judgmental to go grab the child out of the street? Say, well, you know what? It's just my opinion. It's probably a dangerous place to do on Route 19 here. But it's just my opinion. I'm just going to let them go. I wouldn't want to be judgmental. I wouldn't want to have their parents think I was doing something I shouldn't do. No one in here would do that. You go get the kid out of the street. Then why why are we so hesitant to go talk to another person living in sin? But exhort one another every day, as long as it's still today, as long as it's we're living, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We are all, every one of us in this room, in our lives, there is the potential of being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And that's what community is. We're in this thing together. All right, one more thing. Verse 16. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not those uh, who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And, And to whom... Did he swear that they would not enter the rest, but those who were disobedient? And so we, are, 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 so we see that they were unable to enter because of their unbelief. Now, there are two types of unbelief. There's the unbelief we have as believers. We're going to go through that. There are going to be times we doubt, we fail, we fall, we have a lack of faith unbelief as a believer but then there's another type of unbelief it's the only unforgivable sin it's the final unbelief it's going to the grave saying I don't care about Jesus I don't care what he did I'm not going to believe in that and that final unbelief is final and it's forever an old pastor and writer, C.H. Spurgeon, says it like this. He says, could you roll all sins into one mass? Could you take murder, blasphemy, and lust, and adultery, and fornication, and everything that is vile, and unite them into one vast globe of black corruption? They would not equal, even then, the sin of of unbelief. This is the monarch sin, the masterpiece of Satan, the chief work of the devil. It is one sin for which Christ never made atonement. Mention every crime on the calendar of evil, and I will show you persons who have found forgiveness for it. But ask me whether the man who died in unbelief can be saved? And I reply, there is no atonement for that man. There is atonement made for the unbelief of a Christian because it is temporary. But the final unbelief, the unbelief with which men die, never was atoned for. So if you're here today and you're not trusted in Christ, man, we are pleading with you to do that. Because here's the deal. You may be 13 or 30, or 80, or 90. And none of us know how long you have to live. And that final unbelief is that spinal sin that allows you to be separated from God forever. So if you're here today, and you don't know Christ, we're gonna have a time after service when our elders and pastoral staff are up here, and we're asking that today's the day that you trust in Christ as your Savior. As you pray about that and think about that, one of these days you're going to close your eyes in death. What then? As you think about that, those of us who have trusted in Christ are going to take communion. This is a time when we remember what Jesus did for us. Only because of what Jesus did for us can we know with certainty that we belong to him. Only because of what Jesus did for us are we allowed to be called, to be justified, and to be glorified. And we hold this bread and this cup with thanksgiving, and we do it solemnly as well, thanking Christ for what he's done, but also holding it, repenting of our sins, thinking about where we've been this past week, thinking about the things we've said and thought and done, and asking God, forgive me. I want to be cleansed. I want to go through another week serving you. Wipe the slate clean. Forgive me. and Thank you that by Christ and through Christ I can be forgiven. Ken Gorton, one of our elders is going to come and lead us in this time. Let me just pray for the bread and the cup as, uh, as we uh, get ready to pass it out. Father, do your work in our hearts. Help us to be those who um, don't take this lightly. When we hold the bread in the cup, help us be those who understand the great price paid by Jesus on the cross. And Lord, if there's anything in our life, and we're sinners to the core, saved by your grace, show us where we're falling short. Maybe even show us, Lord, who we need to go talk to. Because if we're going to disobey that Instruction, that's a sin as well. So show us where we're falling short. And then help us to make those decisions of obedience today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.